raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Panther GM Scott Fitterer told us there wouldn't be that large of a coaching pool to choose from this go-around, but the names keep adding up. The question is, does Steve Wilkes' chances of getting that job dwindle with every passing day and every new name? Who better to bring on to discuss it further than Joe Person, Panthers beat writer, a part of The Athletic, doing incredible work, which you can find by following him on Twitter, at Joseph Person. Joe, you've gone through a couple head coaching searches now. How chaotic is it for you this go-around? Um, yeah, it's just kind of weird, like you said, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And uh, I guess we're at 10 now, if you count Gerard Mayo, um, which I think we should, because I, you know, I think, I think, I think he's still in, in, you know, in play here for the Panthers, uh, Patriots, obviously making that very kind of unprecedented public announcement that mm-hmm. they were going to try to extend him. But I think that was really probably more in response to the de- defensive coordinator calls he's gotten. I don't, I don't think anybody would, would, you know, I shouldn't say they would, would turn down an interview, but most guys uh, would, would, you know, at least like to go through the interview process. If, if you're not, especially in Mayo's case where he's not, not been a coordinator. So yeah, it's uh it's been interesting. I, I mean, let's remember though, like uh, two years ago when David Tepper was looking for a replacement for Marty Herney, they interviewed 15 GM candidates. And so I think, I think we've seen with him, he likes a big pool. And I think part of it too, is to pick the brains of these candidates. And, and even if they're not necessarily, necessarily going to be the guy, I think I think Tepper likes getting their view and the rest of the league's view on on his franchise and where the warts are, and where uh, you know where the where the positives are too with this Panthers roster. It's Joe Person on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, and Joe, yeah, you you mentioned the the growing list of candidates. You have a pinned tweet on your profile, including a survey asking Panthers fans who they want to be the next head coach, and an overwhelming majority chose Steve Wilkes to be that guy. Do you think as we go along this process that the possibility dwindles for Wilkes to be the next head coach, or are his chances just as strong as they were in the first place? Well, it's impossible to look at this list, which includes, I think now, seven offensive guys, and not notice the trend. I mean, they're, they're, they're a, a lot more guys on that side of the football than, than there are on the defensive side, which is Wilkes, D'Amico, Ryans, and, and Mayo, whom we talked about. I, I do think, you know, that like I mentioned, that if it is sort of a fact-finding mission for, for David Tepper, and I don't know that it is, but I think that's part of it, then, then I think you, you still give Wilkes a, a, a good chance. You know, I'd I, I know that he had his interview earlier this week. Um, I think he was going to present his vision for the offense, which was a important part of his presentation because 
you know, I think we've seen uh, the defense rally around him and the offense too. But but you know, they played a very spe- specific, uh, conservative style of football uh, offensively. With and 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 listen, it he was Steve Wilkes and Ben McAdoo were kind of trying to maximize what they felt they had on this roster. They they didn't they didn't think they had strong quarterback play and certainly didn't trust the quarterbacks to win them football games. So they relied on that defense and guys like Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard and, uh, and, and good special teams play. And, uh, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's a kind of offense that David Tepper wants to see over the course of uh, an 18 week season. And so I, I would have loved to have been a fly on that wall I mean, I know one candidate I've mentioned as a possible partner for Wilkes at, at offense coordinator is Eagles uh, quarterbacks coach Brian Johnson. He obviously done very good work with Jalen Hurts and kind of an up-and-comer. And, you know, he, he might have an opportunity to uh, stay right there in Philly and be offense coordinator. Depends on what happens with Shane Steichen. But just uh, kind of one name to keep in mind there. Joe, West Bryant here. Does it feel like just the perception, the more candidates that they bring in, it's almost like we're forgetting about Coach Wilkes. It seems like he's getting drowned out by all the candidates that keep coming in. Yeah, you know, I I kind of felt, too, that it's a good question, and I felt when Harbaugh's name came up, as it did last weekend, that that almost, to me, it was even before the Saints game, I think, uh, Wilkes' final game, and that almost felt like it was uh, a way to kind of divert fans' attention. Because, listen, David Tapper pays attention what to, to what the media and the fans are talking about. Or if he doesn't, certainly people are telling him. And, and as Walker said, and as you guys know, there's been a groundswell of support for Steve Wilkes beyond the, the, the locker room, which, which is, you know, not insignificant either. But um, – yeah, I felt like that was a way to kind of, you know, I, I don't, I think both sides gained a little something from having Harbaugh's name out there. You know, he gets leverage with Michigan and or the Broncos and Colts and the Panthers, as I said, you know, it was sort of a sh- uh, uh, letting their fans know they're like, hey, we're going to shoot big for the in this search. Uh, I know y'all like Steve Wilkes, but we're going to look at other candidates too. Do you think that, uh, the the offensive philosophies of these guys and their backgrounds with quarterbacks bodes well for them since it's more than likely the Panthers will pick a quarterback at nine or maybe try to trade up and get one. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, all these guys and, and that listen, you guys know this, that's been the trend since 2017 with Sean McVay that, you know, not just getting the McVay disciples, although there've been a lot of those guys hired, but, most of them, and and even guys like Nick Sirianni have a background with quarterbacks, and that's that's the name of the game. That's why I said it was so. That, that's why that piece of Wilkes' presentation was so critical. And how does Wilkes uh, view these quarterbacks in the draft? Um, is there a guy that he's particularly you know smitten with? Because I, I I'm I'm with you. I think this is the year the Panthers are going to uh, finally take a uh, quarterback in the top 10. Joe Person joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. 
Joe, do you know the chances of Steve Wilkes remaining the head coach, but also maybe bringing in Frank Reich as the offensive coordinator? One of these guys. I know that's kind of been mentioned out there as uh, maybe a pipe dream or maybe an actual possibility. What say you? I don't get that that's a real possibility. I, I know it's been mentioned, and, and I get why it would be. But, no, I like I said, I think I, – I, I think, I, you know, listen, I think Wilkes would be open to listening to a proposal like that, but I, I'm, I'm pretty certain he went in there with a, uh, a short list of, of offensive coordinators he had in mind if he gets this, and I don't think Frank Reich was on it. Uh, you know, could that change? I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe. But, um, and I, you know, it's no slap on Frank Reich. I just think Steve Wilkes has, you know, all these guys, listen, they they it's like like any business but 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 they have people they've worked with before friends of friends people they trust and respect and and steve wilkes has you know he has a short list of i'm sure he keeps in his desk or wherever of guys that have you know because i think it's important to point out too when he got that arizona job it's often mentioned and it was mentioned in his lawsuit when he when he joined the i should say not his but when he joined the flores lawsuit that he did not get to pick the quarterback there. That they uh, that Josh Rosen was was the choice of Steve Kime, but also out in Arizona, Wilkes didn't get to pick his offense coordinator either. He was um, kind of paired up with Mike McCoy again, choice of, of Bidwell and Kime in Arizona. So, um, not to belabor this point, but 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 it is when when you're a defensive guy like Wilkes. And uh, and for that matter, D'Amico Ryan's and, and Gerard Mayo, and this owner seems pretty, you know, smitten with offensive coaches and quarterback coaches in particular. Then then it is important to to know what the vision of those defensive minded guys is on the other side of football. Well, and Joe, to the best of your knowledge, I mean, we heard Scott Fitterer talk about the actual people that are that are going to be making this decision. How hands-on is David Tepper when it comes to football operations? How hard is it? To, how hard has it been to gauge the actual power structure that exists within Bank of America Stadium? Do you think it needs to be defined more clearly? I know that's a lot, but just it always feels like the power structure and the decision-making process is always a little cloudy. With Matt Rule having 51% contractual control over personnel, and now we're hearing from even Nicole Tepper is going to be involved. How do we define this power structure in place when it comes to football operations? Yeah, I mean, listen, David Tepper is an involved owner. Not to the extent, I don't think, of like a Jerry Jones from people I've talked to over in the building. But and but he's around a good bit, you know. He, he He's in Florida. By, by nature of being a billionaire and wanting the tax breaks that come with living in Florida as your main home, he's got to be down there a couple days a week, too. So, but but when he's here, I think he is in the building, and uh, and especially, and he has said this that on on decisions when it comes to like quarterbacks and head coaches and GMs, he is going to have a very heavy hand in it, and I think he's going to listen to, to Scott Fitter and take Scott Fitter's input and Nicole Tepper and uh, another guy I know who's on the committee is Samir Suleiman, their cap salary cap guy for the Panthers who came with Tepper from the Steelers. He's going to listen to all of them, but at the end of the day, he's cutting the big check. And I think it's going to ultimately Dave Tepper's has the final say. So, 
And Joe, talking about all of that, what do you feel like has been the public's perception? Because we've heard pundits talk about the Panthers are dysfunctional, et cetera. What is your perception about the fact that Tepper came out and said that his wife was going to have a say in the decision? And then I was going to ask you to follow up off of that. You know, do you have a personal candidate do you, that you think is the best fit? Well, first of all, it was Fitter who said that about Nicole Tepper having a role, oh, not, not Tepper. But but your point's still the same. Um, no, I mean, I don't have a problem with that at all. I mean, that's listen, I think any of us who are married, when we have big decisions to make, I, I think there's a very, very high value in getting your wife's opinion, a woman's intuition, uh, all of that. I mean, listen, we have the very... I'm glad to see the NFL has, has, you know, made a lot of progress. We're listen. We still want the NFL to make progress when it comes to, uh, minority hiring practices. Uh, but I think they're slowly making progress too, where, you know, powerful, strong women are having a, more of a say so. So, yeah, I think, I think, it, you know, again, I, I think, I think it's going to be kind of a, uh, a a group decision, but with David Tepper making, you know, kind of putting his final stamp on it. And do I have a, uh, you know, I advocated last Sunday writing from the Superdome that I think the job should be Wills. Um, I understand the, uh, you know, the push for a, an offensive guy and, you know, it is the way the league's moving and, and working, but I just, I was really impressed with what Steve Wilkes did in a a tough situation. I mean, Josh Norman said this week, I think it was Monday, before those guys got out of town, he said, you know, and he was watching from afar at this point, but like at the time of the coaching change, when they got rid of rule, Norman said they were about half a step away from like putting bags over their heads in the stadium at Bank of America. And I mean, it was it was bad. And then then he had, you know asked to dump Robbie Anderson. He asked to see Christian McCaffrey get traded away. Um, all of that. And I just I thought Steve Wilkes did a masterful job, just sort of making the Panthers respectable and relevant, and just commanding respect in that locker room. All right, and Joe, one final thing before we get you out of here. You mentioned you you do think this is the time that the Panthers invest in a young quarterback. Where does that leave Sam Darnold? What are the chances he comes back with Carolina next season? Well, I mean, they have to have somebody on the roster besides Matt Corral, and let's you know assume that they take a guy in the top ten. So I think that there is room for Sam Darnold as you know the number two guy. You know, depending on what happens with, because you just don't know where, what you're going to get from Matt Corral. I mean, the heat there, he, he won out there nearly long enough in August to know if he's going to be the difference maker or if he's a guy that's, you know, not even going to make the team uh, next year. And so Darnold at least did enough. I mean, I think we're, I think we're all in agreement. He was better. I still don't think he's a franchise quarterback. And, and if they bring him back, that it wouldn't be with that in mind. It'd be at a, at a reduced salary than what he made this year at $18.8 million. But I do think it's possible. And look, so much depends on who gets hired. Uh, but, I, but I think it's possible. That's great stuff from Joe Person, a part of The Athletic, joining us here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Follow him on Twitter. That way you can stay up to date on everything revolving around the Panthers coaching search. Follow him on Twitter, at Joseph Person. Joe, always great to hear from you, man. Thanks again for stopping by. 
All right. Y'all have a good weekend. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks, Joe. Same to you, Joe. Great stuff there. Let's recap some of those comments on the other side of the break. We have another coaching profile coming at you. This time it's Jim Caldwell. We'll be evaluating. It's all on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Thanks to Joe Person for joining us on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. There's a lot of not listening going on. And usually, y'all get mad at me. Y'all have done that before. Wes did that yesterday. You were doing it for no reason earlier today. But it happens with Fiddy a lot. And Fiddy decided to put in a tweet into the direct message of the group. And Wes had already sent that video clip a couple weeks ago. And even put it in a thing for us to discuss on the show. But... It didn't make the cut. And Fiddy asked, like, hey, did you guys see that video I just right. put into the group? And I was like, yeah, Tom Cruise, he's always done his own stunts. And then yeah. Wes was like, I already sent this a long yeah. time ago. And they had a full five-minute video I, that broke down his preparation for that that was even more <laughs> impressive. I don't want to hear anything else from you about not listening, Fiddy. I yeah, mean, I, I don't want to hear a thing. <laughs> to be fair, um, I did not know because I'm not a big Tom Cruise fan. Did not know that he performed his own stunts. And I didn't know that was related to Mission Impossible. Like, I just saw a 54-second video of him riding a dirt bike and jumping into the, the, middle, of the, you know, the middle of the sky. Yes, he did over 500 jumps in preparation for that out of a plane. And he did that stunt six times that day. You, you come across as a huge Tom Cruise fan. Wes. Oh, Cruise is... Your guy? My guy. I knew it was coming. I love Tom Cruise, bro. <laughs> to me, for me, he's 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 right there as one of the goats. Just acting in general. Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, his movies are big. They're really bad. Yeah, they I mean, are. He doesn't really have bad movies. <laughs> no, they're really bad. No, I said rarely bad. I thought you said really bad. What bad as well? movies does Tom Cruise have? Um, like Top Gun. It's the first movie is absolutely awful. It's 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 that might be top five worst takes ever on this. Show. No, <laughs> that, that movie. You about to get lit wait, up? That wait, movie sucks. Wait, the you first are smoking. The, dude. Fir- the first Top Gun is one of the worst movies. He about to get. Awful. He about to get eaten a lot. The se- okay, first of all, the this, sequel's on, better. Uh, than let the me original. tell you. Okay, see, first of all, the sequel was fantastic. People loved it, but it was pretty much. A similar plot to the first one and had a lot of elements from the first one for nostalgia. So you saying the first one's trash makes you look a little crazy because the second one was pretty much a carbon copy of the first one. And it instituted a lot of elements from the first one. So how can the first one be trash? But this one's so much better I don't when it took a lot of stuff from the first one. I remember someone dying in the second movie. Oh, good Lord. Are you about to play spoiler? Are we still well within the spoiler alert here? Nah, we're way out of spoiler alert for Top Gun. It had so many incorporations from the first one. Mm -hmm. Come on now. I haven't seen the second one either. So let me know. The first one, of course. You ain't seen the second one. I haven't seen the second one. I just saw Mm -hmm. it Christmas night. I haven't seen it. Well, let me me know another one. (laughs) Somebody wrote in Vanilla Sky is really bad. I've never seen it. And I have not seen that one. But the Mission Impossible is a fan. That last one, oh my God. It was so off the chain. Yeah, send us your bad Tom Cruise movies through the uh, garage. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't have any, but it's. 
very slim. His you said rarely. To yeah, be rarely. Key, 704-570-9610. Panther Pickle says, Fitty, you need to uh, shut Fitty, you need to shut up. Maybe he got red. I thought I saw a curse word in there. Maybe I just wanted to put that in there, so I'm glad I didn't. Um, Tim Haynes uh, Hates Tanking wrote in that Cocktail, definitely the cheesiest movie Tom Cruise did. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, I have not. I know that was at okay. the beginning of his career, and I know he gets, he gets a lot of love for that, though. There are some people saying that the first Top Gun, one says it was brutal. 704 number wrote in, Top Gun was a trash movie. Yes. Wow. Okay. I mean, I'm not a huge Top Gun fan, but I wouldn't call it brutal. I recognize its place in cinema, and a lot of people love Top Gun. Second one is great. Somebody wrote in. Um, yeah, there are there are plenty of people that are mad at you right now. I so. don't care. My favorite Tom Cruise acting job is actually him in The Firm. I think he's really good in that movie. Somebody else wrote in War of Worlds was a pretty big waste of time. I liked War of Worlds okay. Have neither of y'all seen The Firm? No, I've never seen it. No, that. I never watched that. Oh, that's a great John Grisham book adapted to the film. It's really good. I like the big, like, blockbuster type. No, I know. Yeah, Mission Impossibles are a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. End of Tomorrow was good. I'm not I'm not watching a ton. Yeah, there's a lot of people writing Jerry here. Maguire. Now. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is the most regular. Right role for him that I love. Yeah. Um, Stanford P said Tom Cruise is a clown show. Straight fizzle. So somebody said Amen, that about, brother. <laughs> said about Tom Cruise. <laughs> to do your own stunts, though, is pretty crazy. Like, to me, he's the definition of a movie star. My favorite movie of him is probably Collateral, though. Oh, Collateral was fire. It was. It was awesome. And that was pretty star studded. Yeah, him and Jamie Foxx. <laughs> yeah, they yeah were, I love that. They movie. were both excellent. Collateral, Collateral, probably my favorite Tom Cruise movie. You can continue to text in about Tom Cruise if you want to. 704-570-9610. It got the people wild up in the text line. Let's go with Jim Caldwell. Maybe Jim. Oh, Caldwell. American Made. Sorry. It's okay. Is that one good? Yeah, the American Made where he played the drug dealer. They said it was some fabrication in the movie, as it always is. But yeah, that that movie was dope. Come on, man. I don't, I'm not here for the Tom Cruise slander at all. All right. Michael Myers and Tom Cruise among Wes Bryant's guys. And so we'll find that out. Of course, as we always go Days on. Days of Thunder. All right. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I like the idea of us giving Jim Caldwell analysis and just in the middle every so often. Yeah, just throw out a random Tom Random Cruise movie. Tom Cruise movies. If you want to do that, I'm down. And then we'll just act like you didn't say anything and then continue okay. to move on. All if right. you can just throw out some random... Tom Cruise okay. movies. Here's the case for Jim Caldwell. He has experience. We've seen Jim Caldwell coach the Indianapolis Colts in a successful tenure there after taking over for Tony Dungy. Goes 14 and 2 in 2009, goes 10 and 6 in 2010. Peyton Manning gets hurt in 2011. They go 2 of 14. No longer does Jim Caldwell have a head coaching job. He does get hired by the Detroit Lions and sticks with them for 4 years. Here are his records with the Detroit Lions. 11 and 5, 7 and 9, 9 and 7, 9 and 7. So yes, a lot of 500 football after the initial 11 and 5 season. But let's remember, it's with the Detroit Lions, a team that has been as bad luck struck as any franchise in the NFL and also has been one of the more dysfunctional franchises, has seen the least amount of success as much as any other franchise in the NFL. And you look at some of the numbers here when Jim Caldwell was head coach of the Detroit Lions, you're looking at sixth in total yardage in 2014, 
fifth in total yard, excuse me, sorry, not total yardage, but when you're just talking about um, passing offenses, you're looking at top 10 performances because Matthew Stafford was putting up a boatload of passing yards. Touchdowns, they ranked eighth in 2015, fourth in 2017. That was actually the last year that he was with Detroit. Is Jim Caldwell's success in Detroit alone worthy of him getting a third opportunity as a head coach, Wes? Uh, I think so. Like we talked about context with the firings. You look at what he did uh, in Detroit, a 56% winning percentage, highest of any Detroit Lions head coach since the 50s. He had two playoff bursts in his four seasons. They had one in the previous 14 seasons. So why was he fired? Well, we know why, but... Uh, you know, you talk about his time with the Colts. He was the fifth rookie head coach to lead a team to the Super Bowl. He set the record for the best start by a rookie coach. Now you want to, you know, talk about the fact that he had Peyton Manning and he pretty much inherited Tony Dungy's team. So if you want to, you know, mark that from his resume, that's fine. But like I said, his work in Detroit was worthy alone for me to give him another shot as a head coach. And I think he would be the safest guy because him and Wilkes aren't very dissimilar in their attitudes and dispositions. You know, there are no nonsense coaches. Caldwell, you're not going to get any flash or pizzazz with him. He is hardcore, fundamental football. Mm-hmm. And him having Peyton Manning, of course, he's going to open up the offense when you have a quarterback that's basically a head coach in and of itself. But I just think that what he brings to the table, he is the safest hire out of all of the candidates. Well, and as we know, as we were talking about with ties to the Carolina area, how about Jim Caldwell having been Wake Forest head coach I had, of Wake? <laughs> I had, okay, so if you want a quick story time. I'll Let's do it. Quick. But Coach Caldwell's staff recruited me at Wake. I went there. I got uh, handwritten notes from all of the coaches when I came back from the junior day. And I still have the scholarship letter that I got from Jim Caldwell in one of my books. Do you regret not going to Wake Forest to to play? Because you would have played under Caldwell, right? Had you gone to Wake Forest the first time? No, he Coach Grove came in my freshman. He got fired at the end of that season, uh-huh. if I'm not mistaken. Because when I was at Florida, I remember Grove had come in because Wake it had gotten pretty bad towards the end, and that's why he got fired. So when he came, I mean, it, it was uh, it was pretty arrogant, but I remember when me and my mom went, I said, we're just here to eat. <laughs> you said we're just, you said to your mom yeah. that we're just here to eat when Wake Forest was recruiting you. Yeah, when we went up for the junior day, I was like, we're just here to eat. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Did they give you a strong selling point? How bad did they want you in Winston-Salem? Well, they, they did because when I got back home that Monday or Tuesday, I had a handwritten personal note from every single coach on the staff. Mm-hmm. So I would say that yeah, was uh, pretty absolutely. Endearing. I opened it, up my mailbox and they fell out. But that's the other thing, too. It's hard to turn down some money from Florida to go to school there and play some football. Yeah. You know, So when you're talking about regretting going to Wake Forest or getting recruited by Florida, you at least tried it, found out it wasn't the right fit, and then you came back home and had a, a more successful— Yeah, that was a lot I liked when I finally started looking at things I was supposed to look at the first time as far as schools went. Mm-hmm. But— when you're 16, 17, man, you want to go to basically the highest-ranked school that recruits you or the best football school that recruits you. You're not thinking about school as much. Well, you're going with somebody completely different, by the way, in Jim Caldwell getting this interview because we're talking a lot about young offensive minds. Well, Jim Caldwell is not young. 
I mean, he is, you know, getting closer to 70 years old. The last time he coached in the NFL, I believe, was with the Miami Dolphins yeah, in 2019. 2019. As it pertains to pro football reference, he was an assistant head coach, a quarterback coach there with Miami. That was just two years after his tenure with the Detroit Lions ended. So he would be back in the NFL after a little bit of an absence. But he's been in the NFL for a long time. You talk about him after leaving Wake Forest. He was the quarterback coach with Tampa Bay in 2001 under Tony Den- uh, under Tony Dungy. Then goes with him to the Colts organization and is with Indianapolis as an assistant head coach slash quarterback coach until Dungy leaves and then takes over as HC, just as we mentioned a little while ago. So you are talking about an extensive past working with offenses, Peyton Manning, right? It's it's weird. The other coaches you're discussing in this pool, we're all crediting them for bringing the best out of a Daniel Jones or a Jalen Hurts or any of the other QBs like Jared Goff that we're talking about. We might be crediting Peyton Manning, the player, for bringing out the most in a Jim Caldwell, which is okay to be working with an offensive mind that is Peyton Manning, one of the best to ever do it. That's okay. And you know what? Then you can apply that and bring out some great numbers with Matthew Stafford, really the only semblance of quote-unquote consistent winning. It gets a little weird and cloudy when you talk about it being so close to 500 with two 9-7 and seven seasons, but you did have the first 11-win season as soon as he took over with the Lions organization, and so I think that absolutely matters. Plus, you are talking about offensive coordinator job with Baltimore 2012-2013. Remember, Joe Flacco was doing pretty well at that time with the Baltimore Ravens, too. So you have different stops with Jim Caldwell, And I think that's why he might be a safer hire. And I just don't think they're going to end up that route. Because I think when you look at ESPN, Jeremy Fowler wrote this. We just heard from Joe Person that joined us in the last segment. It's hard not to see all of the younger offensive minds that were a part of explosive offenses, whether it be your first or second year, being the play caller for Philadelphia or for the Giants or for the Detroit Lions. It just feels like young O.C., transitions to head coach is going to be the storyline for Carolina here, Wes. I agree with you 100%. And Coach Caldwell, for all of his experience, it is like, what do you want the future to look like? Do you see, because you want this head coach, ideally, you want to be on some Steelers type of ish, if you will, to have a guy that's going to be here 15, 20 years from now, still being your guy, still leading you to the playoffs, still having success. And that's a factor I believe in it as well. With Tepper coming from the Steelers, I'm sure he would like that scenario with a limited amount of head coaches during his tenure because he's hiring the right one. And so with Caldwell, I'm not sure that you can see that future with him beyond maybe five, six seasons. So we're going with the older coaches today as far as the profiles go. And I did ask this to Joe Person, but he said he didn't see that as a probability. Maybe there's some kind of possibility, but it looks very slim that a Frank Reich might be the OC if the Panthers decide to retain Steve Wilkes as the head coach. Jim Caldwell could fit that bill too, though. If you really wanted him to become an assistant head coach or become 
a quarterback coach or something like that. I know Sean Ryan is here now, and I actually like Sean Ryan and the um, the work that he's done with Deshaun Watson. Also, I believe Matthew Stafford with Detroit, too. So we've seen Sean Ryan do some good things with past quarterbacks in the league. But Jim Caldwell on your staff is always going to be a good thing. Maybe you don't want him as your head coach. That's fine. But him being on your staff would be good. I'd like Frank Reich if that's a possibility. But maybe they would feel too hands-on and and too higher up to accept a role below a Steve Wilkes in this situation. So that has to get played out. But these young guys are also in waiting as well, and we'll see what David Tepper decides to do. That'll wrap up the coaching profiles of the week. If we don't have a coaching uh, hire over the weekend, we'll continue this. We still have Kellen Moore to get to, D'Amico Ryans, Gerard Mayo. That was interesting from Joe, that Gerard, despite – the negotiation that was made public between having him become a high-paid assistant with New England, that that's still very much in possibility with Last Samurai. Yeah, being the head coach. Last Samurai until Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> Is that a good one or a bad oh, one? Oh, Last Samurai was great. Okay, I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen good. Last Samurai. He's done so many. It's hard so to keep many. up with Tom Cruise movies. So many. And so, Since uh, the 80s. All right, we'll do more coaching profiles next week if we do not have a hire this weekend. We have Brian Windhorst going to be joining us. Interview with the vampire. At 1 o'clock. Plus, we do have some Charlotte Hornets conversation coming up in just a moment. Not before the second Fitty Flash of the day. Flash is Fitty. What you got? Well, we're not going to talk about one or another disappointing team in the Charlotte area just yet. We'll talk about maybe the best team right now in the state Wes's Hurricanes they won last night yes. 6 to 2 snapping a four game winless or pointless streak because it's right you can still lose but gain a point in a sport which is why it's utterly Is that right? I thought you could tie. I didn't think you could lose and still gain. You a get point. a point oh, if okay. you lose. Oh, oh, I got what you're saying. Um, you Wes, just don't get an advantage. Did, did you watch the game? What did you take away from two teams on ice that skated around for 60 <laughs> minutes? Uh, I came in the third period, was watching the Hornets as well. I had a lot going on. I had to do a lot of women's basketball last night for the ACCDN that you can watch on all platforms. So I had a lot going on, but had the Canes and the Hornets going on, and the Canes just went psycho in that third period. Three goals, they were just smoking at that point, man. They were rolling. So can I was you break down it. what they do to score goals? I can't. They had a good slap shot. I forgot which one got the slap shot. I know Ajo set him up for it. That one was nice. Um, but they just, like I said, they really distanced themselves in that third period. They were already up a couple of goals anyway. And then in the third period, they just closed them out. The most familiar I got with the Carolina Hurricanes was last year when I was doing sports centers. And I remembered the name and I could tell you stats and I could not tell you watching the game, but I could tell you all of the box scores because I would have to update on sports centers constantly. So I know the <laughs> names as long as they didn't get traded without my awareness, but I am not one that has them on my first or second TV. It's no disrespect. I just can't watch hockey like that. We get to the playoffs. I'll start to pay a little bit more attention. I'm okay. sure me and you would be the only ones doing that. Fitty, yeah, because they're going to be a contender. Fitty just scoffed at it. He calls it ice skating. Just scoffed at it. Doesn't want to talk canes whatsoever. I want to slap shot you, Walker. Oh, please do. I would love for you to try it. It's you guys Wesson should Walker. go on the slap show that they were going to have. Uh, I, absolutely. I would love to do it, especially today. Fitty just getting under my skin today, man. He's just he's being good at it. He's being too good at it right now. We're going to talk it out during the break. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM.
We continue to get bombarded with Tom Cruise movies in the text line. A lot of people writing in what their favorite Tom Cruise movies are and what Tom Cruise movies they think are actually bad. So trying to scroll down, somebody like Tom's uh, Tom Cruise's cameo in Tropic Thunder. I've never seen Tropic Thunder, but people love it. I saw it. People love it. It was though. pretty funny. Yeah, people like Tropic Thunder. Uh, the Last Samurai was a question mark we mentioned. Now, you liked that one. Um, Days of Thunder. I've never seen yeah, Days of Thunder classic. either. I, I watched that one day. I sat down. I said, I need to watch. I think, I think people would be angry at me for not seeing Days of Thunder. I mean, as a white guy from the South in Catawba County, <laughs> you should be into NASCAR just off your stereotype. Yeah. And I did watch NASCAR growing up. My mom liked it. And so it would be on on Sundays after the Panthers game and we would bring on the NASCAR race. But after Dale Jr. got out, man, once the Earnhards were done, we I, didn't get out. I followed along. Well, I mean, what he did, he left the sport. Dale Jr. Oh, like, you, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dale Jr. I was gracious. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to sidestep all of that. <laughs> When Stale Jr. was gone, I did follow Kevin Harvick for quite a while as well. Um, I know that's uh, that's gonna. <laughs> what are, what are you on right now? What is going on with you? Just as disrespectful as possible to some NASCAR drivers here. You guys got into a little bit of a fight about Kevin Harvick as Smoke was coming into the studio yeah, because Smoke wasn't having it. Well, I know, and and Smoke was coming at y'all, giving you all the smoke when you said that Kevin Harvick was a choker. That's what you said, yep. Wes. He and is, you, and you agreed, Fitty, and Smoke wasn't having it. One of his favorite drivers because you guys think he should have more than one championship. Yeah, he yes. wins six, seven races a year. He looks so dominant. He's always running in the top five, and then it gets to the playoffs, and something happens <laughs> when he gets in the final four to where he can't win the championship every time. You know, and Mac and Bone were saying, oh, he's still going to be around the sport for years to come. That's not a good thing. This guy is a <laughs> professional crybaby. That's all he ever wow. does is just bitch and complain. And now we got to listen to that while he's not in the car. He's he, Look, he's he wins a lot of races, but he doesn't win championships. And that's what matters. I'd much rather win a less races and win championships than win all, a lot of races and win no championships. I do think it's a flawed postseason system, though. I do. And I know what you're going to say. It rewards winning. <laughs> but no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. It, it rewards winning the later you get into the season. But it does not reward winning overall as the season is. Right? If you were to count If the you get a victories, win, you get in the playoffs, though. Well, and he and he does get into the play. I mean, yeah, he's in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, he gets in, and he gets in the final and four, win, and then he chokes. You advance to the next round automatically. So what's crazy though is it rewards winning if you win later into the season, and it is carried a lot more than just the overall amount of wins, right? Like I no, think it stacks up. You get a lot of cachet though if you get a lot of wins. As far as if you there. don't finish. In a certain way, you still have enough points to be able to advance to the next round. I'm sticking with my boy Smoke on this. Who knows about NASCAR as much as anybody? All right? Yeah. I'm going with Smoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 704-570-9610. No, you can text in. That's your Kevin Harvick. No, man. Not Harvick. Man, not Harvick. 704-570. I went eight races a year. Can't win a chip. I wish the Charlotte Hornets were good enough to choke because I think if you are good enough to choke, that means you're in it at the end of the game. That's a good and way to look find at it. A way. Yeah, because that would be fantastic, right? Competing enough to have more than the 11 wins that they have at this point in the season. We're going to talk about this with Brian Windhorst in just a moment, but they lose again last night to the Toronto Raptors. They are tanking, and I don't think it's um, on purpose <laughs> because of all the injuries <laughs> that have taken place this year. But here they are. 
with the worst record in all of the Eastern Conference, and it feels like they find different ways to lose. Wes. I mean, you look at last night. The Raptors scored 38 in the first quarter on 71% shooting. Okay, Then the Hornets have a season-high 22 turnovers. And they shot the ball well. They shot 53%, 39% from three. But when you have 22 turnovers, Toronto scored 26 points off of that. But committed the most fouls in a non-overtime game this season. 30 fouls. They gave up 36 free throw attempts to the Raptors, man. And it's like either you're not playing defense. If you're not doing that, you're turning the ball over. If you're not doing that... You're sending teams to the foul line, and it's just like, man, it's just like different ways. And I bring that that point up as far as finding different ways to lose because you had a back-to-back in Toronto. And then you would think that after you lose the way you lost the game before that, you would come out with a new mentality and just really wanting to stick it to them. And then it's like just different things keep popping up. I thought it was interesting when Cody Martin talked about the disconnect and why the Hornets – aren't winning is because they aren't carrying out the the good word from Steve Clifford defensively and they continue to do the things that they did last year and that's absolutely the weakness of this roster as constructed but also they could be better defensively with the good old-fashioned heart and energy and motor and all that stuff that seems so cliche but that stuff matters defensively I mean I'm as new aged and I'm so I, I value information which is basically what analytics and advanced stats are I value information I think it's crazy to just put that to the side and that matters offensively they're still shooting a lot of threes LaMelo Ball is attempting the most three-point field goal attempts per game outside of Steph Curry. Steph Curry's one, and then it's LaMelo Ball two, and he's actually shooting at a pretty good clip, 40% last night, an efficient ball game from LaMelo. But defensively, they get destroyed in the backcourt. They get destroyed in the frontcourt. And this is where, I, I mean, probably the biggest individual problem I've had with Steve Clifford all season long, and I don't know if this has been mandated from the higher-ups or if this is just what Steve Clifford has decided to do with this roster, whatever, Mark Williams getting a DNPCD last night did not play coach's decision. That can't happen. Nick Richards comes in after Mark Williams doesn't play one second. And it's crazy because the day before they play last night, I had just talked about this on Wednesday, that Mark Williams, even with only two made field goals, playing like 15 minutes, the game that he played against Toronto the first time, it's like, this is fine. The baseline for Mark Williams is now good enough to where you really don't need to hold him out anymore. He needs to play every single game as the season goes on. I think Steve Clifford was probably trying to manufacture more physicality. We know how much Steve Clifford has preached that this season, and Nick Richards brings that. But defensively in the pick and roll, man, no. Mark Williams is way better at that. Even as somebody that struggled with that in college, he's such a smart player, he knows where to be on the court. The sheer size of him, the length. You need the length, especially against Toronto, where their whole roster is predicated on getting a whole bunch of Swiss Army knives that have seven-foot wingspans. And then you sit Mark Williams. Like, I I don't know if we can get conspiratorial here, where they're starting to initiate the tank. They're pressing the button. I don't know how you start up a tank. I don't know if you put the keys in the ignition. I don't know if you press a button. But they're doing whatever to start that thing up. Maybe you can go that route. I want to see the first-round rookie that was playing well once he entered the rotation. Yeah, and you want this guy to come in there and continue to get experience. And it doesn't make any sense at this point. They want to say that they're not going to try to tank or 
They can say whatever it is that they want to say, but like you said, when you see things like that, it's just not looking good for the Hornets. And it just this point, man. You just try to manufacture ways to even describe what is happening. Well, and and also you think about even if they had their full roster available, let's say they go through a normal amount of injuries, not because every team goes through it, right? Clearly, the Hornets have gone through it more with Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre, Lamelo, Terry, on and on and on, on we go. If they had a normal amount of injuries and Miles Bridges does not get arrested for felony domestic violence, which he did. And so that absolutely changes the calculus of your expectations. But even full roster here, Wes, don't know how good they would have been. And to be honest with you, if they would have been at full health with Miles Bridges, they're probably in a worse spot because you're in no man's land, not really contending for the play in and also not really contending for one of those top three lottery spots. It would have been worse. Like, it actually could have been worse with a better record and no man's land, obviously, the situation you would least like to be in. Let's discuss a little bit more about the Charlotte Hornets, the approaching NBA trade deadline with ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst. Up next, it's Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.